Well, I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this, but there is a rise in our world of nearsightedness. And if you aren't familiar what nearsightedness is, it's where you can see things close up, but when things are far away, it begins to get a bit more blurry. I experienced this when I was 18 years old, when I was in university, everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, when I was looking at the screen, I started not being able to see it anymore. And so I had to get glasses and contacts and have enjoyed that experience for a while now. Uh, but this, this, this problem is really on the rise. And so there was reading some research about this this week and, and people were suggesting that it's, it's maybe because we spend a lot more time reading or on our phones, and it, that's partly true. Uh, but one of the things that they're finding through the research is nearsightedness is actually becoming an incredibly big problem in, in cities. And what they found is that, that people in the city, compared to, to people who aren't in the city, that they're, they get nearsighted more because there's, there's not as much natural light, because there's a lot of buildings around. But one of the biggest things they're seeing is in cities, there are big buildings, right? You guys been in a city, you've seen this. This is becoming a big problem in America and also parts of East and Southeast Asia where there's skyscrapers all around. So what ends up happening is you don't actually have to see very far. You don't have to, to look very far. You actually can't because everywhere you look, you're surrounded by buildings. And so you begin to condition your eyes to see things that are close, not things that are far away. And so what we're doing in this series that we're kicking off this morning that's called Fix Our Eyes, this is the premise, is that where we fix our eyes matters. What we look at matters. And you guys know this to be true. Where we fix our eyes will determine our direction. Just a show of hands, has anyone ever had one of these moments where they were driving or walking or cycling and they started looking at something? And the next thing they knew, they were like really close to that something. Anyone ever had one of those moments? Yeah, I think we all have been there just a few weeks ago. I'm going to go ahead and tattle on myself. I was walking up our driveway and I, I was noticing Ava and Emma had moved around the stickers on the window and I'm just looking at the stickers on the window and the next thing I know, I literally run into the house. Like, I was like, I don't know, my depth perception was off what the problem really was, but like where we were looking at, what, what we look at, it determines our direction. And the authors of the Bible, they understood this. Long before the research came out, they understood the fact that where we fix our eyes, it matters. So as we begin to walk through the scriptures, we're going to see a, a phrase or a command or some terminology that pop up that, to fix our eyes, to focus our eyes, to set our eyes on, on some certain things. And then today we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 12, probably the most famous of the passages to fix our eyes. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Hebrews 12. It'll be in verses 1 and verse 2. And so before we dive into our passage, what I want us to do is I just want us to get a picture of what this idea of fixing our eyes is, is about. So one of the things that we got to make sure that we understand is, is what we'll see in the series is it's not always translated the word eyes. And that's, we find this fascinating. What begins to happen is this eye is not this physical eye. Like there, there is a word for that in the Greek, but that's not the word that we're beginning to see. It's this idea of having our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our, our very beings fixed on something. And so this idea for something to be fixed Think about this idea of, of locked or, or really focused in on this, this intentional thing that we do. Has anybody ever had one of these moments where they were, they were kind of looking at someone and then they turn and they look at you and your eyes meet? 
It's one of those awkward moments, right? You're like, what do I do now? Do I just keep staring to make it more awkward? That's what I do. I'm weird. Uh, or, or do I look around, really look away really, really quickly to avoid the awkwardness that we might be experiencing? But here, maybe, I think most people probably, we look away really quickly. But when we see this in the scriptures, what we're talking about is this intentional staring into the eyes, staring into Jesus, just fixing our eyes on something. We're intentional. We're active. It's not just something we accidentally stumble into. It's something we intentionally do. We lock our eyes. We fix our eyes. We set our eyes on Jesus. And we allow him to be our Lord. We allow him to be the boss of our lives. And we begin to to let everything that we do flow out of our eyes being fixed on him. We begin to love our neighbors differently because we see the way that Jesus loved his neighbors. We begin to to serve other people differently because that is what Jesus did. And as we fix our eyes on him, where our lives begin to be, they begin to reflect that of Jesus. So when we fix our eyes on Jesus, here's what we find, is we are less likely to wander to other things. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are less likely to wander to other things. When I fix my eyes on Jesus and on Jesus' mission, I don't have to go around thinking, okay, what, is, what am I supposed to do? What is my life supposed to be about? What mission should I be living? We know my, life, my eyes are fixed on Jesus, and that is my mission. If my eyes are fixed on Jesus, you know what? I don't ever have to question. I don't ever have to question my self-worth. I don't have to ever question, you know, am I important? I don't have to spend hours at the gym trying to make myself feel better about myself. I don't have to spend hours at the shop trying to get this perfect outfit so that I have this approval because I know my self-worth is is rooted in who Jesus says that I am. And so that begins to change. One of the things I've seen true in my life is when my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I don't have to have the last word. in in arguments or or discussions with people. I don't have to be like, well, I don't have to be the last one. I don't have to be, make sure that my opinion is the last thing that is heard because my, our life is is different. And we see this to be true, not only in the spiritual realm, but we see this and think about with people who exercise. I was having a conversation with my dad a few months ago and my dad decided that he was going to start getting up every single morning and going for a walk and ending his day every single day with going for a walk. And I was like, okay, that's great. And what he found is he said, I, I want to eat better. I want to I do things different. Like, I don't want to eat as much. I don't want to eat as unhealthy. And it was just this simple statement, this simple thing that happened, but it changed his direction. It changes what we do. And we've, we've seen this play out many times. So fixing our eyes on Jesus makes it less long, likely to wander to something else. But we know we're prone to wander, right? So this is an intentional, an active thing that we continually do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's open up our text, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and part of 2. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So here's the premise for for all of this. When our eyes, the only way we can run the race that God has called us to is if we fix our eyes solely, squarely, and securely on Jesus. 
The only way that we are going to be able to run the race of faith, the only way that we're going to be able to run this race that God has called us to, if we fix our eyes securely, solely, and squarely on Jesus. And it's really important for us to note as we dive into this is we have been called to run a race. This is what what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Like we have been called to run a race. Now the question is, what type of race is that going to be? Because who we fix our eyes on or what fix our eyes on will determine in a lot of ways the race in which we are running. But we have been called to run a race. And what what does it look like? What is the race that the writer of Hebrews is calling us to? I think we get a clue of what this race is. And the first word we find in this passage, and in my Bible, in this translation, it's the word therefore. And one of the things, whenever we read the Bible, whenever I was in university, I had a teacher who loved to say this. Whenever we find the word therefore, what we have to do is we have to figure out what therefore is therefore. Because this is a connecting word. It's meant to connect two things together. So when we read this word, we know, hey, this is... This is a preposition. This is bringing us, bringing things together. We need to look back and see what this, is, what this is tying together. And so if we look back to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 is, is all about people who live by faith. It, it's, it can be called the, the hall of faith. In, this, in Hebrews 11 is some of the greatest men and women who have ever been in relationship with God. And so it's walking through their story about how they live lives of faith They lived by faith. They lived lives of faith. They were able to endure to the end. They were able to have endurance for this race because of their faith. Let's just look at a few of these. A few of these examples. By faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. It was by faith Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave the home and to go to a land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went even though he did not know where he was going. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given freely... She had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so we walk through this passage and it talks about these men and women who are in this great relationship with God, who have lived this life of faith. In verses 34 through 38, it gives this beautiful picture of endurance. It says this, it says about some of these people of faith, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Other were, others were chained in prison. Some, were, some died by stoning. Some were sawn in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And so we look at the race that we're called to run. It's a a life of faith. It's a life that we live in faithfulness to God, not just a life of faith, but a life of faithfulness where we have this active faith that we do. And so we look to these crowd of witnesses to see that these people have walked this faith. They've ran this race. So we look to them as examples to walk this this life of faithfulness. And so I I don't know if you guys have, have realized this, 
our world changes really quickly. Anybody, anybody notice this? Yeah, absolutely. Like, what is cool? Like, what dress is in style? The, the lingo, it seems to change overnight. And this week, I was just reading about some changes that have happened over the last 20 to 25 years. Kind of a long time, but not really in the grand scheme of things. Did you know in the last 25 years, the world's population has nearly gone up by 50%? It's crazy, right? 25 years ago, this is going to date me because I actually had this, AOL Instant Messenger was social media. Like, that, that was it. Only 40% of adults had or used the internet. Now that number is like 96. So things have changed a lot. And here's what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus. One of the reasons is he doesn't change. Our world, things shift, things change, things go crazy. But we fix our eyes on Jesus because we know he is secure. We know that he remains firm. We know that we can trust him. We know that he is faithful and he is unchanging. He is a firm foundation. The writer of Hebrews in the very next chapter, in chapter 13, he says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, that's such a comfort. When I look around our world and I don't even know what's cool to say anymore, it's good to know that, that Jesus doesn't change that he remains the same. So we plant our feet on him. We fix our eyes on him because that is a firm foundation. The writer of, writer of Psalm, Psalm 18 has this beautiful word picture. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is a rock whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, the place of safety. So this is what we do. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And we keep our eyes on him because he is he's secure. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, to look first at fixing our eyes on Jesus because it's only when we fix our eyes on Jesus can we even do any of the stuff that he talks about in verse 1. The only way we can strip off the sin that trips us up, the only way we can get rid of the weights that hold us back, the only way that we can run with endurance is if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. So here's, here's the truth. It's simple. But I think it's important. We fix our eyes on Jesus and only on Jesus. I think this is really significant for us, especially in the, on the heels of, of chapter 11, right? Because we've read about these men and women of great faith and they are, they are to serve as an encouragement to us, but they are not to be the people that we fix our eyes on. Yeah, they're a witness to us. They can give us hope. They can give us this opportunity. They can give us the courage not to give up but they are not the people that we fix our eyes on. Because when we walk through Hebrews 11, like there's some people who are incredible people of faith, but they also messed up pretty bad too. Like when we walk through them, like Moses, he didn't actually even get to go to the promised land. Moses, when he was first called by God, he, he was like, no thanks, don't want to do that. Read through the story of Noah. Noah gets drunk. He lays around naked. Like his life seems to go a little bit of a mess. There's Rahab, the prostitute. There's Abraham, this incredible man of faith. He was, he was scared. He lied or at least was a little bit deceptive. And so, yeah, these are great people of faith, and, but they're not the people in which we fix our eyes on. They're encouragements. They showed us what it's like to endure. They showed us what it's like to, to overcome when we, when we screw up. But the people, the person that we fix our eyes on is Jesus and only Jesus because he is perfect. 
He is the anchor. He is a firm foundation. He is where we can step our feet on, place our feet on, and it will not slip, and it will not move. We can place our, our, our lives there. I mean, just think about this in, in, the, in the sense of our world. If we fix our eyes only on, only on a spouse or a partner, that's going to end in disaster, right? If we let them be the, the full deciding factor of everything in our life, that will end in disaster. If we lock our eyes only on a career, that's going to leave us feeling lonely. If we give attention only to our hobbies, like that is going to leave us just feeling broken and empty and unfulfilled. So just think about like if we fix our eyes only on the things around us, if we fix our eyes only on things other than Jesus, we fix our eyes only on our partners, our hobbies, our careers, our friends. If we fix our eyes only on that, you know what the result is going to be? Chaos, heartbreak, disorder. And that's what we see in our world. We see that playing out, so we, we do things differently. We don't fix our eyes on the things that are around us. We don't fix our eyes on the things that change. We fix our eyes on Jesus who never changes. Let's read verse 2 in its entirety. It says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and protects, perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. That's what we see with Jesus. Jesus has walked the trail for us. He has completed the course for us. He is, he's, he's the one who has done this. Jesus' life matters. Not just his death. His death is important too, but his life it matters. Jesus, in a, in a real way, has blazed the course. He's, he's ran this race for us to show us like, what it looks like. And so let me just ask you a few questions in your life. Do you want to defeat the greed and lust that easily entangle you? You want to defeat anger and pride that slows you down? You want to defeat the, the envy and the hatred that trips you up? You want to defeat the lies and the sin that entangles you? You want to run or, or walk the race with endurance to completion? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how we do it. So let's look back at verse 1. It starts off by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, I love that the writer of Hebrews uses the word we. Because he's saying, like, he's a part of this. He is running this race with us. He has not completed this race either. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is what we do. We continually, as a people of God, we do these things. And so the only way, the only way that we're going to be able to do these things that he gets ready to list is if we fix our eyes on Jesus. So here's the first thing that he tells us to do. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So the first thing is to strip off every weight that slows us down. And so I don't know how much you guys know about first century running, especially like in athletic running. So what would have happened in that day when people would have ran a race, this analogy would not have been lost on them, is people would have ran naked or, or very nearly naked. And when I was reading that, I am just very glad in the 21st century that is not the case. That, that is not how our races are ran anymore. But like, this is the idea, is they would strip off every single thing that would hinder them, that would keep them from, from being slowed down. And I just think about me as like, I'm not fast enough to even worry about that. But like these people, like you have to see, remove all these things that would, would run this down. And 
the truth is we are not meant to run, run races with unnecessary weight. I do not think clothes are an unnecessary weight. Um, but I don't, we were not meant to, to run with unnecessary weight. But especially this, this race. We were not meant to run this race with unnecessary weight. Like It got me thinking this week. Is like, What are some of the weights that maybe slow us down in running the race that God has for us? What are some of the weights? Maybe it's, maybe it's lies that we've just believed, maybe about ourselves or about God or about, about other people. Maybe it's the lie that, that I deserve to be happy. And that's a, that's a, that's a lie that begins to, to slow us down to running this race that God has for us. Or maybe it's this lie about God that he doesn't actually have our best interests in mind. And we start to question whether he, he cares for us. And we don't want to follow him because we don't think that he has our best interests in mind. That's, that's a lie. Maybe the lie that we believe about other people is they, if they don't agree with you, they're toxic. This is big in our world right now. Like, oh, they don't agree with you. They're toxic. Get rid of them. No, like we need people to disagree with us. We need people to challenge us. That's a good thing. And so maybe these are weights that slow us down. But maybe it's, maybe it's a faulty view of self or a faulty view of, of success. Maybe you, maybe you view yourself and you don't look at yourself through the lens of a child of God, but you begin to see yourself as, as something worse, something less than, and, and you spend a lot of your time trying to be better than you actually are. But the reality is the scriptures tell us you are more than a conqueror. And Jesus, he, he died for you. And you are a child of God. And so your worth and your value, it is it's stuck there. Or maybe you're, it's this, this view of success. Like, I've just got to accumulate these things. I just have enough stuff. I, if, I, if I have this or, or if I can go to this restaurant and don't have to ask how much something is, then I will be, have success. And, and these are things that, that slow us down. Maybe it's unhealthy friendships or unhealthy habits or, or unhealthy dreams. And so the principle here, this idea here, is that we remove anything that hinders spiritual progress. And what, I've, what I've found is we begin to think through this, we start to walk through this, is these aren't always bad things, but they're not always beneficial things. They might not be inherently bad. They might not be sin because he's going he's to dive into the sin thing in a minute. But these are things that just, just hold us back, that keep us from actually running the race that God has for us. And I think this term that he uses is strip off is so incredibly important. So this, the idea here is, is to put away, to, to get rid of, to put aside, to move to another location. I just want you to think about this for a second. When you strip off sweaty clothes, do you do so with the intentions of putting them back on? If so, you're gross, all right? <laughs> When I get done from a run, when I strip off my, my runny clothes, the last thing I want to do, I want to put those back on. No, I don't even want to be close to those things. Like when we strip, we sh- think about a swimming tog. You've been, in the, you've been swimming, you strip it off. The last thing you really want to do is put that thing back on, right? Or like stinky socks. Like when we take them off or we strip them off, the intention isn't to put them back on. Let's, let's move past the clothes metaphor. But like maybe you're, you're doing like craft work and you're stripping paint off of a, an object. You're not stripping it off, going and getting a brush, brushing it up and be like, okay, now let me glue it back onto this. Like, that's not what we do. And so this idea is to strip off, is is to remove, to get rid of, to, to, to move away without the intentions of putting it back on. And so we don't replace this when we strip things off. We don't replace it with, with something worse. We don't take sweaty clothes off to put more sweaty clothes on. 
And this is the idea. He's saying strip these things off. Remove these weights. Don't pick the weights back up again. Because the reality is once we have learned to run freely, once we have learned to run without weights, and it's insanity, it's, it's silly to put them back on again. It's silly to do that. So we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And by doing so, we can strip off every weight that slows us down. He continues on and he says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Show of hands. Anyone like tripping? Anybody a fan of that? No, we, we, we don't really like that, right? Because here's the thing. When we, if we end up slipping and falling, does anyone stand up, take a bow, look for the judges to see what, what number they got on their fall? Is anyone doing that? No, what are we looking for? Oh, please, please, no one saw. Please, hopefully no one saw me. And that's, that's what we're looking at. We're looking. And then maybe if you're like me, you're hoping that they don't have CCTV, that you're going to end up on YouTube. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I don't like tripping. It's not fun. It's not something we want to do. No one likes to strip and fall. Or trip, strip and fall. No one likes to trip and fall. I don't recommend stripping and falling either, but no one likes to trip and fall. But this is exactly what sin does. It makes us trip. Think about this. Harsh words in a marriage, what does that result in? Tripping and marriage not being what it could be. Greed in business. It ends up in tripping. Like things don't begin to go the way that the, it doesn't go that way. Gr or selfishness in a team. What's it going to end up? The team is not going to work the way that it's supposed to go. Lying in friendships. It's going to end up in tripping like things are not going to go the way that they're supposed to go. This is what sin does. Sin trips us up. If you want to wreck your life, allow sin into it. Nothing will wreck your life, your friendships, your relationships, your, your business quicker than sin. And I think there's this misconception about sin. We think of it as something that, you know, it's not really that bad. Or, or, or even like we play the freedom card. Okay, I am free to do what I want to do. I, I'm free to do this. Like if I, if I can sin, then I, I'm free to do whatever I want. But the reality is like there is no freedom in sin. Sin is always a hindrance. It always holds us back. Here's what I want us to see. He doesn't just say sin trips us up. He says it does so easily. Anybody seen that play, play out in their life? How quickly and easily sin can, can trip us up? Because it's, it's the reality. And sin is not only the opposite of fixing our eye on Jesus. It's an obstacle to it. It's not only the opposite of this, it's, it's something that builds a wall, it gets a barrier between us. Because one of the things as we survey the, the scriptures we've talked about, we see the blinding nature of sin. And sin, it begins to blind us to some things. It blinds us to the reality about God. It blinds us to the truth of our need for God. One of the things I've seen in my life, I've seen in the lives of other people, you know one of the ways that sin blinds us the most? is it blinds us to see the, the effects that it's having on us and the effects that it's having on other people. Like we can see this with people that we love when they're, when they're in this life of sin. We can see the way that it is wrecking their lives in sin. It blinds them to that reality because that is what sin does. Did you guys know that the uh, Oxford Junior Dictionary has actually removed the word sin from, from their contents? 
And, and so when, when they caught a little heat for this decision, they had to issue a statement as to why they have removed sin from their contents. And here's what they said. They said this, the word has fallen into disuse. And it's no longer relevant to a younger generation. And so they've wanted to remove sin from the vocabulary. And I'll be real honest, I think a lot of us would be okay with that. I know sometimes when I come to church, if you just talk about all the good things, make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside, don't talk about my sin issue, just talk about all these nice things about Jesus, like little hippie Jesus peace, you know, like whatever it may be. Like if we just talk about those things, that's great. I think a lot of us would be okay with that. But the problem is, as St. Augustine wrote back in 400 AD in his book Confession, he said, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. The problem with removing sin from our vocabulary is unless we accept our, our condition, we're never going to receive the, the grace of the Father. Until we receive, until we accept our sinful condition, we will never be able to be healed. We will never be able to live in the blessings of the gospel. We, we can never be cured from our sin if we refuse to acknowledge our sin. So if we are going to run the race that God has for us, We've got to deal with our sin. And maybe the question you have is, or is, is how? how? How do we deal with our sin? Here's a simple thing. Call it what it is. Call it sin. Like, you, we may want to just say, oh, you know, it's, oh, it's, just, it's just fun. It's just something I want to do. It, it's not really hurting anyone. No, let's, let's call it what it is. Let's call it sin, rebellion against God, something that's separating, separating us from God, something that is destroying our relationship with God, with other people, with ourselves. That is what sin is doing. And so let's call it what it is. It's sin. And we begin to survey the scriptures. And here's the next thing we want to deal with. We want to remove our sin. Listen to the Bible. If the Bible calls it a sin, guess what? It's a sin. I, you know, sometimes there's things in the Bible that I don't like. I don't agree. I don't think. I don't think are really good. I don't. I don't always enjoy everything that it says. You know what I have to do? I have to assume I'm the one who's wrong, because the Bible is perfect. And so we, just, we want to get rid of our sin. We let's deal with it. Let's confess our sin. Let's acknowledge what it is. It's sin, and it's sin that keeps us away from God. It so easily trips us up. We cannot run the race that God has for us if we are weighted down by things that slow us down. We cannot run the race that God has for us if at our feet constantly is sin that is tripping us up every step of the way. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, and in doing so, we can strip off the weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And finally... We can run the race with endurance. Here's how he finishes. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The only way we can run a race of endurance is if we've moved, removed the weights, if we've removed the tripping hazards, and, and we run. That's the only way we can do it. Here, here's the funny thing. As we read in the, in the Greek, the word race is actually the word agna, agna. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that word, uh, agna. What does it sound like to anybody? Agony. That's where we get our English word agony from. So here's what's happened with me in a few of my running experiences. Sometimes when I'm running, I get tired. Fancy that, right? And, and so what I'll have to do when the agony begins to set in, I have a couple of options. One is quit. 
Option two is, is to endure. And I always try to choose option two. So what I do is I just fix my eyes on something. And so something that's not too far away, maybe it's a tree, maybe it's a bench, maybe it's a, it's a light pole, but I just fix my eyes on that object and I just run towards that. And then when I get close to that, you know what I do? I fix my eyes on something else, a little bit farther. And I just keep running through this, running through the agony until eventually either the agony stops or the race is done. And here's what we do with Jesus, right? We fix our eyes on him as we run this race. Because here's the reality. Maybe, maybe you've heard all your life that once you accept Jesus, life is going to be easy and things are going to go well. Here's the reality. It's not true. Sometimes, man, it can feel like agony. Sometimes walking this life of faith, it can be painful. It can be exhausting. It can hurt. That's okay. Because we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are able to endure when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are able to, to walk through the agony. We fix our eyes on him. And you're like, I know everything's, everything's difficult. I know I'm getting tired, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, and I'm going to keep walking towards him. I'm going to keep being faithful to him, and I'm going to walk with him through this. And I don't know if any of you guys have felt this before. I know I have. Anyone ever felt like they were just not really running the race that God had for them, but running the rat race? instead. Anybody felt that? Like you, you have this life, like you know that the God has this great life for you and like this way of this race that you should run of, of value and meaning and purpose. But you look around at your schedule and you just feel like you're running a rat race. Friends, if you feel like all you're doing is running a rat race, perhaps it's because you're running the wrong race. Perhaps our eyes are fixed on the wrong things and that is causing us to run this race that is just not the race we're called to do. So as we start a new year, here's a, here's a phrase that I want to encourage us to. It's holy discontentment. And Mark Sayers, in his book, Reappearing Church, he spends a whole chapter talking about this holy discontentment, where we just realize, like, we're dissatisfied. And that moves us to this holy discontentment where we see the reason for that. Because what we've seen and what I've seen in my life and what I've seen in life around us is the chasm, the gap between what our world promises and what it delivers is just gotten wider and wider. Anyone ever notice that in their own life? Maybe it's, maybe it's this idea is like, if I just get this car, then my life will be, life will be good. If I can just get this car, everything will be, in my life will be satisfied. It's not a Citroen C4, by the way. That one doesn't do it. But like, maybe that's the lie. Or if I just get this career, if I just get this person, if I just get this house, then everything in my life will be satisfied. And then you get it and you're just empty. The, the, the width between the, the, the gap between what our world promises and what it delivers is just getting wider and wider. This week I was, I was reading an article that says uh, how, to have more, have a, how to have a more satisfied life. Five steps proven by research. So they know you're already going to doubt it, right? So they have to put proven by research in the, in the title of this article. But here's how, you guys ready? Here's your, here's your five steps to a more satisfied life. Step number one is friends. Get some more friends around you, all right? Step number two, have goals. So New Year's resolution people like myself, you want to be satisfied? You've got some goals. It's proven by research, right? There we go. Um, you just got to have a life story. You got to be able to tell your story to people. Have something in your life. Have some value. Have some meaning. I did appreciate the fourth one. It says money isn't the answer. I don't really know how that's a step more than just telling you what isn't a step, but money isn't the answer. 
So, you know, there's that. Uh, the fifth thing is to keep growing. Keep growing. It sounds so flowery, right? Oh, I just do this stuff or whatever, but they're, they're proven by research. And here's what we find out. As good as those things might be, it may be good for us to surround ourselves with some more friends. Probably is. It might be good for us to have some goals in life, sure. But only Jesus, only Jesus offers the satisfaction we so deeply crave. Only Jesus is going to offer us the satisfaction that we so deeply want. Surrounding ourselves with putting into practice these five scientifically proven steps may lead to some temporary satisfaction, but only Jesus is going to bring this real and lasting satisfaction that our hearts so deeply crave. John 10.10 says this, it says, the chief's purpose, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin does. Here's what Jesus says. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. That's what Jesus wants from us, wants for us. Our world, it overpromises and underdelivers, but Jesus doesn't. You guys ever heard the, the story of the American swimmer, Florence Chadwick? I don't know if you have, but she is the first, she's the first woman to ever swim the English Channel both ways. And so she also, she attempted to swim what, from uh, Catalina Island to the coastline of California. And so what made this attempt newsworthy was actually the reason that she failed. When she was doing the swim, the reason that she failed wasn't the cold water or muscle cramps. It wasn't sharks or a, a school of jellyfish. It wasn't even the exhaustion of a 16-hour swim. You know what made her quit? The fog. The fog rolled in. She could no longer see where she was going. And she, she gave up. She had to quit. And when she got back in the boat, they let her know, you're less than a mile away. All that way. The fog rolled in. She could no longer see where she was going. So she quit. She gave up. So the question is, what are we going to do? when the fog sinks in? What are we going to do in these moments of life when, when the ra this race that we are called to is agony? What are we going to do when there's difficulty in the faith that we are walking? Are we going to throw in the towel? Are we going to give up? Are we going to quit? Or are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is secure. He is, he is unchanging. He is unmoving. I don't know if you guys remember in Matthew chapter 14, when Peter walks on water. Pretty incredible story. So Jesus comes up to Peter, or not just to Peter, but to the disciples. Jesus comes walking on the water. And it's amazing. And Peter sees Jesus, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out, and I'll come out. And Jesus is like, all right, come on, dude. And Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to walk on water. And it's awesome. And he's walking on water, but then he starts to sink. What caused him to sink? Verse 30, we see this. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. What happened to Peter? He moved his eyes off Jesus. Now, I don't want to be too hard to, for Peter. There's two people who have walked on, the, on water. He's one of them. But man, that's, is that us? Like when we move our eyes off Jesus, then we begin to see the storm. Then we begin to see the waves. And we're not able to walk this life of faith that he has for us. <clears throat> so friends, here's a New Year's resolution for you, even if you don't set one. For 2023, lock your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes solely, squarely 
and securely on him. Lock your eyes on him. So back by, back by communion, there's a, there's a little plate of these. They're just little suitcase locks, tiny little locks. Um, and, and so what I want us to do is this is real simple, but if you want to just grab one of these, just to encourage you to lock your eyes on Jesus. Stick it on your keys, put it on your book bag, put it on your purse, wherever, a place that you will see it. Just as a simple thing to remind us to not to let the, the fog to blind us, to not allow the, the agony of the race that we're running to give, make us give up and quit. Grab one of these locks and use it as to remind you to fix your eyes on Jesus. So over the next four weeks, we're going to flesh out specifically what it looks like for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to look at some passages that give us a bit more specifics. But here's how I want to encourage you this week. Starting off New Year, starting off your week, is to do this. Start your day with Jesus and end your day with Jesus. It's real simple, right? It sounds simple. In, in theory, it is. So the way that this plays out in our house is, is before I do anything else on my phone, the first thing that I do is I read my Bible and I pray. It's not always the first thing that I do every morning because sometimes my kids wake up early and they beat us. They get up before we do. But before I do anything else on my phone, I read my Bible. Before Ava goes to school, we have our good morning God time. We sit together in a family and we do our, we do our God time. That's the one of the first things we do. So start your day with Jesus. Next thing is to end your day with Jesus. So at night, before Tiffany and I read, before we turn on TV, before we go to bed, we open up the scriptures. We read, we study, we pray. Because we know, like if we do it at the end, we know if we've watched TV, we've done these things, I'm going to be too tired. Mentally, I'm not going to be ready to go. So the first thing we do after we put the girls in the bed and make our house look like, not look like a tornado hit it, we sit down and we read the scriptures together. And we pray and we encourage one another. So let me just encourage you with that. Start your day with Jesus. End your day with Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. One of the beautiful things that we see in the passage of Hebrews 12 is we see this about Jesus once again. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. So Jesus is, is the sacrifice. And this is a picture for us of, of the high priest and the priest who in the temple would offer sacrifices for the people. And what would have happened in that day is there would have been a rotation of priests that would have come and offer sacrifices continually. The, the rotation never stopped because sacrifices had to be made for the people. A priest's job was never done. But here's what we see about Jesus is Jesus is the sacrifice. He lays his life down. And then there's the simple phrase that says, he is now seated at the place of honor. So Jesus offers this sacrifice and he sits down. Because the sacrifice is complete. He, he's done it. He can sit down because he has completed the, sacrificial, the sacrifice to save us all. He sits down and there's made the sacrifice once and for all. So Jesus, is, he sacrificed himself for us. And we, in light of that, we fix our eyes on him and we walk this race that he has called us to. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get ready to we'll do a prayer of confession before we take communion, but let's pray together. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you in light of this, that, that Jesus sat down, that his sacrifice once and for all it covered our sins, 
and took care of our take care of our, our issues. God, as we read about these incredible men and women of faith, we still see that they messed up. We still see that they sinned, and so do we. And God, we thank you for what you've done and the way that you've, you've dealt with that for us. God, thank you that the fact that you sat down and that you have been the sacrifice once and for all, that we can actually run the race that you have called us to, that we can run, a, run this life of faith. And Lord, I just pray that today that you will reveal to us what is the sin that we need to get rid of? What are the weights that, that slow us down that we need to strip off so that we can run this race of endurance? Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you because you are the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the way that Jesus is a better high priest. And Lord, help us to lock our eyes on him. Help us to, to fix our eyes solely, squarely, and securely on you and to, to not allow them to wander, but to keep our eyes fixed on you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.